Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we've been praying for you to experience the life-changing power of God in your life today. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. People grow here because our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives, learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Oh, good to see you. You know, we are in week two of our new series, Parenting, Winning the Battle for Your Child's Heart. Now, last week, Chris talked about the importance of relationship and parenting, and today, I'm going to talk about four different stages of parenting. But before we do that, and even if you are not currently a parent, I want to encourage you to engage with what we're going to cover in this series. You are a vital part of God's design for his family, which includes encouraging and influencing people in your life who are currently parenting. You are also a part of the Dayspring community, which deeply values healthy families. And it seriously takes a village, people. Not the village, people. It takes a village of godly people with wisdom and knowledge about following Jesus faithfully to grow godly, healthy families. Now, it's tempting to believe that good parents make good kids and bad parents make bad kids, but we all know that not even the best parents have kids, even the best parents have kids that go seriously off the rails. And even the worst parents can have Jesus-loving kids who grow up to be contributing members of their church community. The truth is, sometimes kids hear things better from someone other than their parents. That could be you. God may use you to influence kids that do not belong to you. That has certainly been the case for Tony and I many, many times. Or maybe God will use you to help parents have a different perspective that keep them from going off of the deep end. So lean in and see what God might have for you today. And before we begin, begin, let's pause together and ask God to open our hearts to something new on this topic. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Parenting is one of the most important and the one, one of the most challenging roles that people can play. And we thank you, God, that you've built a, a system of community where we can love and care for one another and grow together in you to help one another through the process. So God, today, uh, as we dive into some helpful hints, may our minds be open to how you speak to us individually, whether we're a parent or a grandparent or a foster parent or just someone influencing other parents. God, help us to see what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today you're going to learn more about me and my family than you ever wanted to know. Uh, Tony and I have a unique family. We are blended and blessed with four daughters, and we also have Lexi, who we claim as our fifth daughter. And we also have two beautiful girls who we fostered for a season and are still part of our lives. That brings us to seven daughters. Now, you've heard me say before that Tony is the king of estrogen, and it is true. We also have sons that we have through our daughter's relationships, and then we have the blessing of having wonderful little people that we call grandchildren and one big person that we call grandson. And since we're talking about parenting today, I'm going to show you a picture of our adult girls and boys up here on the screen. And I don't put our littles on the internet, so no pictures of them. However, I have plenty if you want to see them after the service. You know, blended families have their own special blessings and challenges, as do grandparents raising grandkids and foster parents. Now, one of the things that Tony and I committed to was to honor the other parents. Now, this applies to exes and parents of our foster girls. It was important for us to show the girls that they are loved by both sides and that there would never be a situation where they had to choose between us. And we always sat near each other at sporting events so that the kids didn't have to look all over for both sets of parents. And we were flexible on holidays and special occasions as not to cause stress, stress for the kids. You know, we never talked bad about the other parents. Now, it wasn't there weren't occasions of frustration or disagreement. But frustration and disagreement are not reasons to dishonor a parent within earshot of their child. Now, last week my daughter was saying how grateful she was that Tony and I never dissed her dad. She also said that it taught her what respect looked like. And we're going to talk a little bit more about respect in just a minute. And just for the record, I stand before you as a parent who, by the grace of God, has children that turned out pretty good. I bumbled along wishing, you know, that I had a handbook for every stage of their lives. But, you know, back in the day when I walked to and from school in the snow uphill both ways, there just wasn't nearly as much information available as there is today. I mean, we didn't have podcasts or seminars or even books that were out weren't that great, and so much has changed since then. Now, because of the lack of parenting information, parents often parented the way that they were parented. Or they did the exact opposite, depending on their experience. And I would say that even today, this would be the primary education for parenting. 
I would encourage you though, whether your experience was good or bad, it might not work for your family today. A healthy parent does some research and it doesn't just rely on what their experience was. There is so much more information out there regarding brain development and developmental leaps that I would encourage you to pray about and get as much information as you can on the subject. Now, when I think about the things that I did as a very young child, it is a wonder that I am still alive. In fact, my cousin and I, when we were maybe mm, seven or so, would get dropped off at the beach for a few hours by ourselves. I mean, granted, we were well-behaved, and we knew a lot about beach safety since my grandparents lived at the beach, but still, a young person does not have the brain development to be left alone on a beach in Oregon, not to mention stranger danger. Now, you know, we didn't have to come in from playing outside who knows where until the streetlights came on if we even noticed that they came on. And as a tween, we used to walk from one end of South Salem to the other in the dark in small groups because none of us could drive. And yes, we drank out of the hose. Now, <laughs> in addition to childhood experiences, parents also often use the exact same parenting strategy for each child regardless of their age, which honestly isn't the best approach. Now, not only are children different from one another, they need different approaches depending on their age at the time. And this is what we're gonna talk about today. And we're gonna talk through four different stages of parenting. There are different approaches to parenting kids at different ages because kids grow and change and develop and what worked when they were two or seven or 12 doesn't work when they're 16 or 25. So let's start at looking at some familiar words from Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, for everything there is a season, a time for every activity under the sun. And, and this verse is the beginning of a poem that reminds us that there is an appropriate time for all things in life, a time which God orchestrates. And although this poem highlights different events or seasons throughout all of life, we can also apply this principle to parenting. There are different seasons of parenting. There are different approaches and different things to consider depending on the age of the child and the maturity of each child. Now, age and maturity, here is our first hurdle. Do we as parents have an accurate view of the maturity of our children? I mean, when they start out, they're the cutest, the smartest, the fastest potty trained, the first one in class to count to 10 and best at something, kiddos. And as they grow through the stages of becoming their own person and they start pressing against the boundaries that we've established to protect them, we wonder what happened to the brilliant brain they had as an 18-month-old or a kindergartner. I mean, who is this person standing before me? And then when they're becoming young adults, sometimes we forget to adjust our methods and we still treat them as if they were 12. You know, consideration of age and maturity level doesn't just apply to the kids. 
it applies to the parents as well. Are we, as parents, and those who are involved with parents, emotionally and spiritually healthy? If not, what are we going to do to become emotionally and spiritually healthy? We can't raise our kids to be emotionally and spiritually healthy individuals if we aren't committed to pursuing that in our own lives. Now, here's the deal. You know, as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, there isn't much in the Bible regarding parenting specifically. But the whole Bible is about Jesus and who he is and what it means to become more like him. Author Christopher Yon writes, the primary goal of Christian parenting is not to produce godly children, but first and foremost, to be godly parents. Now, we want to help guide our children into a life of loving and obeying Christ. We want to raise people who love God, love themselves and others. And obviously our hope is that our grown-up kids will be kind and willing to grow and mature. And we want them to be a part of the family of God and a part of their earthly family even long after they have families of their own. But our primary role in life is to be a godly human. And if we have kids, a godly parent. Now, the primary learning for children comes through example. Your example. And if you want your kids to love and follow Christ wholeheartedly, you better be loving and following Christ wholeheartedly. And if you want them to be responsible, you'd better be responsible. If you want them to be humble, you better be willing to admit fault and be willing to grow. And if you want them to be respectful, you had better treat others with respect. Now, just a side note on respect. We have often heard someone say, they have to earn my respect for me to treat them with respect. Has anybody heard that or said it? Don't raise your hand if you've said it. <laughs> because that is not true. That is not true. They need to earn our trust for us to trust them and be a safe person for us. When it comes to respecting others, we pe treat people with respect because it is the right thing to do. Treating others with respect is about you, not them. Being respectful shows others who you are on the inside, not who the other person is on the inside. So we will talk about the four stages and give some biblical handles on what works well in each stage. And it is great information. But if you want to be the best parents possible, you have to continue to grow in your walk with Jesus and ask for his wisdom and guidance in every circumstance with your child. And God loves it when we ask for his wisdom and guidance. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his letter from James 1, verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Now, who of us, especially in the world that we live today, doesn't need wisdom? 
And not only is it available through God's word and through prayer, it's available in abundance. And God is ready and willing to give us wisdom. It pleases God when we seek his wisdom. In fact, in the book of 1 Kings, there was a king named Solomon, and God came to him in a dream and told him to ask for anything he wanted. And in his humility, Solomon asked for wisdom. Wisdom in how to rule God's people. And God was so pleased that he had asked for wisdom that he not only gave him what he asked for, he also gave him much more. And God loves it even more when we embrace and hold tightly to his guidance. And we read in Proverbs 3, 18. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. And as we apply God's wisdom to our situation, there's a few things to remember regarding how we implement our newfound wisdom. From James 3, 17. But wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace, loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it is always sincere. Now, as we talk about the four stages, let's remember that our approach should be peaceful, loving, gentle at all times, merciful, And we've got to remember that we are not always right. Prideful parents rarely have good relationships with their adult children. And as we begin to unpack how to apply these parenting strategies in practical ways, keep in mind that this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we take the broad strokes, the broad principles and, that we looked at in Scripture and we flesh them out into real-life applications. So it might feel a little light on the Bible verses for a minute, but that's okay. These how-tos are solidly planted in the foundation of God's Word. All right, so here we go, the four stages of parenting. We have the discipline years, which would be ages zero to five. The training years, which is ages 5 to 12 years old. The coaching years, ages 12 to 18. And the friendship years, 18 plus. These four stages provide a framework to help us adapt and adjust our approach as children grow from one stage to the next. Children will move into the next stage even if parents don't. It's the parent's responsibility to make sure that they move into the next step also. Now, failure on the part of the parent to grow along with their child can can create resentment and resistance and rebellion. And it's important to pay attention to where your child's at developmentally. Now, these stages aren't just made up. I mean, since my days of, you know, uphill in the snow both ways, there's been much research over the past 30 or 40 years around the development (laughs) stages of children. You know, humans have a developmental process that includes different stages of development as they grow up. And the brain develops over time. So, for instance, you might have a six-year-old who is very responsible and obedient. But that does not mean that they have the brain development to cross the street alone. Now, developmental psychologists suggest that cognitive skills, such as judging the speed 
and the distance of oncoming traffic, plus estimating the time it will take a child to cross the lanes of traffic, develops around the age of, any guesses? I heard 45, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I heard 10, I do hear 10, it's around 10. Now, perhaps younger with sufficient training and practice in, in, you know, simulated or real environments. So although we think we know what our kids may be capable of, we don't always consider the stage of their brain development in the equation. And this applies to all stages. I mean, until around, roughly around the age of 25, barring any alcohol or drug use, as those things stall out the emotional development of an ind individual, and they remain, remain developmentally stuck at that age, emotionally speaking. So what that means is if your child, or you for that matter, began using drugs and or alcohol at a young age, your emotional maturity stopped developing at that point in time, and it doesn't begin developing again until sobriety. Now that's one contributing reason while many, why many adults are emotionally immature. They didn't get sober until later in life, and they've got some catching up to do. Now, the discipline years, ages zero to five, these are a time to teach that there are consequences, both good and bad, for our actions. Now, littles are not born knowing this, and that's why that we have safety measures at home. And, and we can read through the Old Testament and see many guidelines that God gave the Israelites. There's a reason for each one and a consequence for disobedience. Now, many of God's rules were for the health and safety of the Israelites and for the respect and worship of God. Now, this is the season to strengthen your child's obedience muscles by using repetition and consequences appropriate for the situation. Consistency is key. You know, know why you tell them yes or no and stick to it. When you tell a child no three times and then you let them go ahead and do whatever anyway, you are training them to believe that the rules don't really mean anything and there won't be any consequences for their actions. They, they learn that they can do whatever they want, nothing's gonna happen. And this will carry on into grade school and high school and even adulthood, if not corrected. Children need to learn good and bad consequences. Reward good actions, give appropriate consequences for disobedience. In our family, we say, no thank you, or not for Dorothy, for those little things, you know? And we save the abrupt and sharp no, no, for the dangerous situations. You know, gentle and peaceful in the no thank you. But when our little decides to go ahead anyway, they receive an age-appropriate consequence. For example, we don't put toys in our mouth. So we don't put toys in our mouth. If you do that again, I'll have to put that toy away. Sure enough, she does it again. Okay, it's time to put that toy away because you didn't obey and you chose to put the toy in your mouth. So there's both a direction, a described consequence, and there is a follow through, if needed, with the consequence. And there's a gentle, patient, verbal reinforcement of the reason for the consequence.
Now, using the word obey in our verbal reinforcement helps to begin to teach that obedience is important. And we also use the word choose to reinforce that they had a choice. And it's important to have age-appropriate consequences for disobedience. It's also important to reinforce good behavior by acknowledging when they obey. Positive reinforcement goes a long way. That's why you see parents go, yay, good job. Be gentle and patient. Yelling at children does not create a good response. It creates a stressed out, fearful child. And it also teaches them that it is okay to lose your cool just because you are frustrated. And, and you can't discipline for every single infraction. Decide specifically what you will discipline for, such as dis disobedience, disrespect, and dishonesty, those big ones, and be consistent. Obviously, safety is, is a big one. And then we move to the training years, ages 5 through 12. Now, the training years are when we begin to help our kids understand the why behind their behavior. It's when we explain why we should or should not do something. Now, you tell your child what to do and why it's important. And this is often where you can discover whether you even have a why, you know? If there isn't a why behind the what, then why are we doing it or not doing it? And because I said so, is not a why. This is also the time to practice social skills at home that you want them to have in public. Teach them respectful ways to communicate with adults and with other children. I mean, don't forget to bring in those key words that are important um, for the why. Words like, here's how we show respect. Practice and do-overs are important. I mean, train kids to know why or why not to behave and interact in a certain way, and then practice and give opportunities to try again if they don't get it right the first time. When a child is rude to an adult, it might be because you didn't practice what was expected at home. And by practice, I mean actual role play. Act it out. Pretend you're the adult. For some of us, that's a real stretch. <laughs> and have them practice using appropriate words with the adult. Now we move to the coaching years, 12 to 18. The coaching years are probably the most difficult transition for parents. Here's where you get to allow your kids to fail. This is the time where less training, more correcting. Kind of like a coach who stands on the sidelines of the game and gives encouragement and direction but is not directly on the field. Parents are to step away and watch their kids succeed or fail in a safe environment to do so. Now, this is a very challenging phase. I mean, what if they mess up? What if they get a bad grade because they left their homework at home and I didn't take it to the school? What if they totally go, go off the rails? It's called natural consequences. And if your kids do not experience natural consequences while they live at home, they will not even know that natural consequences exist out in the real world. You can tell them all you want until they experience it. They don't know. Now, one more word about natural consequences in coaching. I told you so is not coaching. When they experience a natural consequence that is the opportunity to encourage them, 
validate their feelings, ask questions to help them think through their experience. You know, yeah, that's hard. How, how might you handle that differently next time? Helping them discover their role in the situation is healthy, and it helps to keep them from playing the blame game. Again, keeping your frustration out of your voice. You know, it, it's your best option here, even, it, even if it gets, gains you an Academy Award. Keep the frustration down. And the truth is, kids will definitely fail at times. They may even get a bad grade. And we pray desperately that they will keep at least one wheel on that rail. But the goal in this phase is to protect and maintain the relationship of trust so they can fail and know that you still love them and God still loves them and they can learn from their mistakes. This is also the scariest phase. If you have good, healthy relationships with them, they will tell you stuff that you never wanted to hear. And they will call you when they're in places that they were not supposed to be to come have you pick them up. And they will make mistakes and learn that it's okay to make mistakes. And as scary as it is, they will value your input into their lives, if not now, when they are older. You've taught them the what and the why, and now you need to move to the sidelines and let them experience their choices in a safe environment for failure. There's gotta be a safe environment for your kids to fail. If your kids can't experience uh, stupid at home and learn that they're loved and coached through it, what do you think will happen out there in the real world? And then we move to the friendship years. All this hard work leads us to the friendship years. And here's where your child's becoming an adult. And you are no longer involved in every decision that they make. And they'll make good ones and bad ones, just like you did. And your job is to love them well and not intervene without their permission. You listen without giving advice unless you are invited to do so. One thing I practice with my girls is this. When they share with me what's going on in their lives, and I have some great advice, which I often do, <laughs> I ask them first. And my question is always, do you want my advice, or do you just want me to listen? And sometimes they just want me to listen. But honestly, that's, that's rare. Sometimes they sigh and say, yes, go ahead. And other times they say, you know, not really, but go ahead and I'll decide what to do with what I hear. I love that. And when they tell me no, I do my absolute best to keep my trap shut. Zipit.com. You know, another way that we honor our children as adults is to honor how they raise their children. And when they ask us to do something a certain way or not to do something, we honor their request. Barring danger, of course. You know, it doesn't matter if we did it differently as parents. We're not the parent. And if we want good relationships with our grandchildren and their parents, 
then honor their parents. Show your kids that you respect them by honoring their requests as parents. Now, one of our greatest blessings is that our grown kids like to hang out with us. Uh, they respect us and they love us in spite of our faults and the mistakes that we made as parents. And we have family dinners every Monday night, and it's loud, and it's messy, and we do night-night walks through the neighborhood with all the strollers and wagons at the end of the evening. And our kids like to vacation with us. They invite us on their vacations. We have fun together. And we have hard times, just like anyone else, but we, we have a family code. As parents, Tony and I always seek Jesus and his wisdom first. We will choose to be healthy, and we will handle things as healthy as possible. And we will love through the hard and the ugly, not just the beautiful. Some of our kids follow Jesus and some do not. But we know that they know the truth, and we know hope. And we choose to love them back to Jesus. Now, the Bible describes seasons and stages and cycles of um, time all throughout its beautiful pages. And God even had stages of parenting as he dealt with the children of Israel. God, God gave commandments and guidelines and consequences for his rebellious people as it was necessary. And even though Israel's rebellion and through our own, God didn't just give up on his imperfect human children. He sent Jesus Christ God sent Jesus to coach his disciples and anyone who would listen on how to have a relationship and friendship with him for all of eternity. And God's love is beyond our understanding and our human reason. And his parenting example, um, he is it. He is our parenting example. So let's look at a parable in Luke that reflects God's love for his children. Luke Chapter 15, starting 11b. We're going to start the second half of, of 11. A man had two sons. The younger told his father, I want sh my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even, with the, hired, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And, he, and his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. 
But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found and the party began. So a rebellious son walks away from his family, takes his inheritance and blows it on who knows what and finds himself in a place that he never planned to be. Now the son comes to his senses and he realizes that his father just maybe knows a little something about life. And the son finally realizes that his actions were not only against his family, but against God. But he's still welcomed with open arms and great rejoicing. In fact, the father runs toward the son before he even knows that his son is repentant. Now, when any of us returns to the Father, there is great rejoicing. God's love includes his instruction we follow with obedience. His love includes correction. We get back in the game with new hope. And this parable isn't just about the rebellious son. What about the dad who took the risk and allowed his son to fail? That takes courage and faith in the fact that God loves his son even more than he does. Now, sometimes our kids do stupid. Sometimes it's a really big stupid. And our job as a parent is to show our kids the love of God in all circumstances. Not the legalism of God, the love of God. And as we were raising our children, each phase was enjoyable and challenging for different reasons. And I always tried to enjoy the phase we were in because I knew that it wouldn't last. And I knew that one day my children would grow up and in spite of my best efforts to mess them up, God is bigger and he has a plan for their lives. Now, our family is not the usual family and we're better for it. Um, we have had and currently do have relational difficulties. I mean, I still worry about my girls and their families way more than I should. And grandchildren have a way of bringing a new level of desperation into your prayer life. The desperate prayers of parents and grandparents are an opportunity to remind ourselves that we are not in control, but God is. That is why seeking God's wisdom for each stage and each circumstance with our kids is so very important. I mean, we've experienced a couple of prodigals. And I trust that God is still working in their lives. I just hope and pray for the day that they would put Jesus first once again. And I would be honored if my role as their mom played any part in that. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. Um, and we ask for guidance and wisdom in parenting of all stages in how we can encourage and advise our friends in their parenting, in grandparenting, in foster parenting when there's just so much craziness all around 
Jesus is still and Jesus is quiet. And his love is beyond the chaos. So God, let us focus there. It is so easy to be distracted by worry and fear and just the junk, honestly. But you're the God of junk. So God, help us to be open to your wisdom. Help us to not stand in a place of, this is how it's going to be. Because maybe we're not right. But you're right. God, lead us to a place where we can have the best relationships possible with our adult children. Far beyond the days of two-year-old rebellion and 18-year-old curiosity and 23-year-old, I think I know it all. Way beyond that, God. You are way beyond that. So help us to have that frame of mind. Give us the skills and the wisdom from you. In Jesus' precious name, all of the people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We count it a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives, and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God would give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. And one more thing. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sewing.